Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. I got a standing ovation from the pastor. What's wrong with the rest of you? Just kidding. Well, that was a big moment for me. My brother, Is it supposed to be this far back or closer forward? I just want to be closer. Oh, there's a marker that says preach. So I think that's where it goes. How are you doing? I mean, I deduced that logic. I think that was shows how smart I am. It says preach. That's where you preach. Hey, Ellen, I am really glad personally that you are back. Ellen and Barry Ott, you can never leave for that long again. I heard Ellen during worship, and I'm like, all is right in the world. Ellen, how many years have you been a part of Capitol? 29 years. Now she should be up here preaching instead of me. You're phenomenal. (laughs) Uh, But, hey, I'm honored to get to preach. Last week I made a joke um, when I was hosting, and I said, I think preaching is easier than hosting. And then Chris decided to put me to the test to prove it. Just kidding. I'm on the preaching team. I'm honored to be on the preaching team. And um, and Chris gives me an opportunity to uh, talk about Jesus, too. I'm not half as good as our my brother, but um, I do claim that everything I have learned comes from him and my dad and my mom and my sister and Shane and Mark and everybody else that's sitting in here. I don't want to leave anybody out. Everyone is a part of uh, what we're doing, and what a great church to be a part of, and what a great church to grow up in. Um, if you have kids in our kids' ministry, if you have kids in the youth ministry, let me tell you something right now. This is a great church to be a part of and to grow up in. You have a community and best friends for life. I have friends in here that I have been friends with since I was a kid. We're still friends, believe it or not. We all still love each other, and that's what church is about. And so I hope you, if you're not connected, you'll get connected, and then you'll be with us, and we'll just be friends until eternity. How about that? Does that be good? All right. Hey, we are going to have some fun today. Uh, we are going to, we're going to build upon some of the um, messages that Pastor Chris has been speaking on. Can we give Pastor Chris a hand? The best preacher, I'm telling you, in the world, on the planet, I would say. Um, I have had, I've had a great honor to hear lots of amazing preachers. Some that are on TV have written great books, done great things, and I will still always put my brother up against every single one of them. I would rather hear Chris preach than just about anybody on the earth. So um, we are blessed at Capitol, aren't we? We have great looking people, and then we get to talk about the Bible, and we are. We're going to go to Matthew 6 this morning. Pastor Chris has been talking about, and and we just recently finished the 21-day prayer challenge of praying the Lord's Prayer. How many of you did that with us? Uh, So we've been talking about prayer a lot, and um, we're not done talking about prayer. And if we ever stop talking about prayer, please come tell us to not stop praying or talking about prayers. Did I say that? Was it a double negative? Probably. Um, Not an English major, guys. Poli sci, so work with me. But we're never going to stop talking about prayer because we know that it is crucial um, to our faith. It's crucial to our daily life. And just to be honest, it's really a great way to live is when you learn the practice of prayer. So we're going to build upon it a little bit. And we've been having some great practices. We've been practicing solitude. We've been practicing praying for our enemies. How many of that found that to be a challenge this week? Me included. Uh, But we still do it, and we keep practicing it. And this week, we're going to give you another practice, and we're excited about what God's going to do 
in our lives and through us as we keep practicing what? Prayer, right? So Matthew 6, this is a few verses after Jesus has just taught us all and taught his disciples how to pray. Starting in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, it says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat or what will you drink? Nor about your body, nor what you will put on. Is not, more, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. I love this. Jesus is talking about not being anxious, and all of a sudden I imagine him pointing at birds and just getting lost in the beauty of nature, right? Jesus is so great. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. Will you pray with me this morning, church? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to talk about you, to learn about you, and, and Father, to practice being more like you. God, I pray that you give me the words to say. I get so excited about talking about the Bible and talking about Jesus. Sometimes I forget important things. So Jesus, help me not to forget something important. And Lord, let us all learn more about you today. Lord, we want to be more like you, not like anybody else. God, teach us, train us. In Jesus' name, amen. I do get so excited. I love to talk about the Bible. Um, you know, I love this portion of scripture. We have Jesus, like I said, he had just taught his disciples how to pray. He says, pray like this, and we learn the Lord's Prayer. A few verses later, here's Jesus again talking to the disciples, talking to a crowd of people, and he's like, don't be anxious, don't worry. And I was, as I was reading this this week, I really did realize Jesus was a pretty carefree guy. Like, I can't find Jesus worrying or stressing out or losing his mind in rage very much in the Bible. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's only a few times in Scripture, a few moments where we even see real the real humanity and the emotions of Jesus. You know, we see him at the garden, and he's overcome in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knows what he's about to endure, and he has this moment of anguish knowing what he's about to do, but it quickly changes into him understanding his role and why God placed him on this earth. We see him weep over Jerusalem. He weeps over his, his dead friend Lazarus. We see moments of, of his humanity. But all in all, generally speaking, Jesus is a pretty carefree guy. Like someone needs healing and, and his disciples are panicking. Jesus is like, it's no big deal. We'll take care of it. I imagine Jesus doesn't even show a lot of emotion. He's like, "What? you guys are idiots. I'll get it done. I'm sure he never said idiots, but... <laughs> brood of vipers is close, you know, but Jesus is just this carefree guy. He just like lives life worry-free. Like what is that? What's the thing from the Lion King? Kuna Matata. 
P.S. If you go to Kenya and you say Akuma, well, I can't even say it, Akuna Matata, they look at you and roll their eyes. They're like, we don't even say that around here. Lion King does. No one that speaks Swahili cares, you know? I was like such an idiot last year. Akuna Matata. And they're like, wow, another American coming to, coming to Africa. <laughs> but Jesus is so much greater than this. He just lives this carefree life. He's worry-free. And so last week, I realized that my niece Kensington is more like Jesus in this area than I am. In fact, I think all kids are. Why? Because they have no concept of time. Have you spent time with an eight-year-old? It is exasperating. It is unbelievable how you have to get them to somewhere on time, and there is no concept whatsoever in their cute little brain and their little bodies that they understand that now you need to leave does not mean five minutes from now or after you finish the TV show and eat your yogurt. It means now. I'm like, sweet Jesus. Like, so I, I was watching Kensington, um, my oldest niece, which is my sister Rochelle and my brother-in-law Mark's oldest daughter. They were out of town, and she spent the night with me, and she had basketball, Y-ball, the next morning, oh, which is so fun to watch her nieces and nephews basically live your life, you know, being an athlete. Um, <laughs> um, that was, like, my great sport, basketball. So she's out there shooting, and she's got great form, and I was, like, taking videos, like, crying. Like, she has the wild form. It's, like, beautiful. Like, she has the great follow-through, everything, right? She missed half the baskets, but it didn't matter. Her follow-through was beautiful. That's all I cared about. And reminding me of my brother and my dad making me practice for hours. Um, but so I had to take her to basketball practice, and she was like, Titi, I have to be there at 8.45 for practice, but I actually want to be there at 8.30 to practice more. I was like, I can't be mad at that. But it was 8.30 in the morning on a Saturday morning, which that makes no sense to me whatsoever. I don't know why they start so early. I was like, okay, Kenzie, well, then we need to go to bed now because I know you. You don't wake up very easily. And she's like, okay, it's fine. We'll go to sleep right now. So I try to get her up. Man, that's like World War III, trying to get an 8-year-old up on a Saturday morning, even though she's the one that wants to be there, you know, early. Well, here's the great trouble is I, have, I ran out of coffee. I had no coffee in my house. Something you need to know about me. <laughs> I am barely human before coffee. Barely. In fact, I might not be human at all. I might be an actual bear before coffee, but I am miserable. My sister made the mistake of dropping by last week. After she dropped her kid off at school, she decided to drop by my house and say hi, and I had not had coffee yet. I literally opened the door. This is no lie. You can ask her. She rings the doorbell. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I saw her text, but I didn't respond because I didn't want her to come. She, like, rings the doorbell, and I walk to the door. I literally open it. I look at her. No emotion. Say nothing. Turn around. Rock back to my bed. And that was the extent of our conversation. Uh, I'm just not, I'm, I'm not a real human until coffee. So Kenzie needed to understand. I had to go get coffee before we could get to her basketball. I mean, there's a lot going on in this morning, right? And she's not getting up at all. So I'm, I'm you know, coercing her. I'm bribing her at this point. I'm doing anything. I'm like, I just, your TT needs coffee and she, she just needs it now. So she finally gets up. I'm getting ready. And all of a sudden I'm like, where'd she go? She's nowhere to be found. Well, she had found herself into the living room and turned on the television and is now watching apparently her favorite show that she has to watch every Saturday morning. I'm like, we don't have time for this. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, I'm yelling now. I'm like the worst aunt ever. I like feel bad later, but in the moment I'm like, just go get ready. Where are your basketball shoes? 
what, you don't have a basketball? Where is it? I'm like losing my mind at an eight-year-old. And she's just the whole time like even kill like, all right. She like goes into the kitchen after I said, we have to go now. She was like, okay, okay. Then she goes in the kitchen, gets yogurt, goes back to the couch, and it continues watching her show that I had already turned off. I'm like, oh, Lord, I just, I don't know if I'm going to be saved after today. <laughs> Finally, she like gets moving. I still have to stop at Starbucks. At this point, I could care less if we were late. I'm going to Starbucks. I'm getting a coffee. I don't think I said a word to her in the car because I also don't like to talk to people before I have coffee. And I'd already been using a lot of words already. So then we get coffee. We drive up to the school and we're definitely a few minutes late. Forget the 8.30 early practice where she just wanted to shoot around. That never happened. We're barely making it to the 8.45, like, actual practice. Mark, are you feeling me? Is this your life every day with your daughter? So we drive up. I'm like, she's like, T.T., what time is it? I'm like, it's 8.46. She goes, see, T.T., you didn't need to worry. We're fine. And I'm like, I, if I could, I'd lose my mind right now. And then we literally drive up, and she goes, as we get out of the car, she goes, look, there's my coach. Her coach had literally just drove up. I'm like, okay, we're fine. We get inside. She wins her basketball game. She got the winning shot. No big deal. She's such a wild. But it was so funny to me that, like, Jesus is so much more like my Kensington than, she, than, than I am some, or Kenzie is a lot more like Jesus than I can be because she could care less she had no concerns, no worries, no big deal. Don't stress about it. We'll get there when we get there. It'll, the game will still happen. My life will go on, Titanic. It's like we lose our minds over worry. And this is what Jesus does in Matthew 6. He gives us a prescription for a worry-free life, for an anxiety-free life. Now, I just said worry-free, and for some of you, worry-free life is as, as impossible as breathing-free life. You think if you, if you have a worry-free life, you're like, that's impossible. That's, that'd be like me not breathing, right? No, Jesus gives us a prescription. He teaches us how to live like Jesus. Jesus didn't live just generally happy. He lived generally content. He was fulfilled. He was good. And what's What's funny is we don't think we can live that way. We, we think we're so far off, we can't get there. But Jesus says the complete opposite. He's like, don't worry. Don't worry about these things. Live like me, and you're going to be okay. So this is what we see in Matthew 6. And Jesus isn't saying in Matthew 6, don't care about clothes, don't care about food, don't care about these things. We know these people that read the Bible so literally and into a pathological state that they sell all their clothes, they starve themselves for days, they do all these things that they think this is what Jesus is saying. No, 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 that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying don't eat, stop eating altogether. You will die, by the way, if you stop eating. Nobody needs you to walk around without clothes on, Right? We need you to continue picking out clothes every day. It'd be great for society. But what Jesus is saying is, where's your priority? Let me turn your eyes to what's the most important thing. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things are going to be taken care of. It's living in this reality that God is bigger than you can imagine. And this is how Jesus lived. Jesus had a high um, understanding of who God is. 
He had this picture and this perspective and this vista of God that, that no one else really had. And this is what he's trying to show his disciples. This is what God is, and Jesus is trying to show us today, is that the picture of God is important to understanding how to live like Jesus. He has this understanding, and he's doing a little bit of theology in here, which is what I really love. See, some, some at this time had a very pagan view of God. The listeners of this, maybe some of those growing up in this, this, this time period, in the ancient time, their perspective of God may have been, well, he's there, but he's not that involved in my life. He doesn't care that much about. It was this paganistic view of, of who God is. So Jesus is addressing this. He's saying, no, 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 no. God is not what you've been taught or what you think. God is so much bigger. In fact, he's involved and he's intentional. He's intimate in your life. He cares about every single detail of your life. So Jesus goes and addresses this from this text in Matthew 6 to get rid of this false perception of who God is. Because Jesus just has this great big view of God and he can dance around and like talk about birds and lilies. And like I seriously imagine Jesus skipping through fields because he's like, I can. I don't got to worry about anything. Bills, don't worry about it. My life, oh, it's all going to work out. We see this, that God truly, Jesus truly lives this carefree, worry-free life. And he doesn't just tell us. This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus doesn't just tell us to live worry-free he, he shows us. He lives it, right? You don't believe me? Let me remind us of some portions of scripture that show us that Jesus is just, he's cool, calm, and collected. I think if you looked that up in some sort of Wikipedia, it would say cool, calm, and collected. Jesus is the only one. Jesus has got to be the old. The rest of us have lost our minds so many times. But see, we, remember Jesus is the one. What's he doing? There's a storm in the middle of the sea. The disciples are on a boat. They're freaking out. They think they're going to die. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping on a boat. I mean, we're talking like this, it, 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 that storm had to be insane if the disciples thought they were going to die. Remember, many of the disciples were fishermen. They were used to storms. They were used to sea. They were used to boats. This was not just some silly little, oh gosh, it's like a little, it was like straight up hurricane in the sea. And they're, they're sure they're going to die. And Jesus just sleeping on the boat like a baby. Like that, like the waves are just lulling him to sleep. They wake him up. He gets up, he rebukes the storm. And he says to his disciples, oh, you have little faith. Jesus didn't worry. Then we see Jesus doesn't worry when there's thousands of people who have been listening to him preach for hours. And his disciples come and say, Jesus, these people are hungry. They've been listening to you preach for, for hours and hours. It'd be like me preaching for hours and hours, which I will not do. And you are starving, right? But there's no food. There, there's, a, there's an issue at hand. There's a logistical nightmare in, in, in involved with Jesus and the disciples. What are they going to do? And Jesus just is like, calm down, disciples. You go feed them. And they're like, with what, Lord? He's like, you go feed them. Jesus doesn't worry he knows that God is in charge. He knows things are going to work out for good. This is who Jesus is. Then we see Jesus. Remember, he gets, he gets message that his good friend Lazarus is sick, really, really sick. What does Jesus do? He waits two days to go to his friend. By the time he gets to his friend, his friend has died. Jesus then shows us the greatest example of empathy by weeping with Mary and Martha and the Jews and those who are mourning over his death. But then he gets up and is like, okay, now I'm going to go fix to raise him from the dead. Jesus just doesn't worry. 
He's not stressed out. He's not losing his mind over things. And then we see this picture, this beautiful picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is this, one of his last moments before he's, uh, where he's captured and he's, he's, about to, he's about to go accomplish what he promised he would accomplish, which is to take on the sins of the world. He's in the garden. He's overwhelmed. He has this moment. He, he knows it's about to come. And he has this moment. And this is a real human moment we see of Jesus where he knows all the powers of evil are going to, are going to throw everything they have at him. All darkness, all evil, everything you can imagine is going to throw everything they have at Jesus. And he knows this moment is coming. And he says, Father, if, if it's possible, could this pass? You know, maybe Jesus in that moment is like, maybe, maybe I heard it wrong, God. Maybe, maybe we got our wires crossed or uh, I misread some messages. Maybe, this, maybe there's a better way to do that. But then all of a sudden, right after Jesus has that brief moment, he then goes and says, but not, but not my will, God. Let it be, it's your will. Not my will, but your will be done. And all of a sudden, we hear this language, not my will, but your will be done. It reminds me of the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Remember, we've been practicing this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in him. Jesus in the garden is practicing his own prayer. He's practicing the very prayer he's taught his disciples to pray. He's practicing it. But how did Jesus learn how to pray like this? What's funny is, not my will, but your will be done, sounds similar, it's different, but almost a similar version to when his mother Mary, remember when the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter one, verse 30, 38, Luke or Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hey, I know you're a virgin, but you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a baby, you're gonna conceive a baby, it's the king of the world, his name's gonna be Jesus, he's gonna save the world, and this is going to happen. Remember, Mary questions it. She questions the angel. But then all of a sudden, that question changes. And she says, behold, I am your servant. Let it be done according to your word. There's this similar expression that's shaped by the life of Jesus and by his mother. And those of that time, they had this understanding. It was God's perfect will that was going to be accomplished. They, their life and their prayer life, prayer life was shaped in understanding who God is and how big he is and how he's in charge and that you don't have to worry. Yes, it doesn't always make sense. In fact, sometimes it sounds crazy, but God's in charge. But what shaped this kind of prayer life for Jesus? How did Jesus learn to pray? Well, most scholars will tell us this about Jesus, that Jesus like many of those at the time, I mean, he was a rabbi. He knew the scripture. He knew the Torah. He knew the Pentateuch. But he quotes in the New Testament the book of Psalms the most. We see it 11 times in the New Testament that Jesus quotes these, these beautiful words from the book of Psalms. I think the Psalms were Jesus' prayer book. I think Jesus learned to pray by reading the Psalms. See, at that time, these 150 prayers or psalms, they were recited day, noon, and night. And they weren't just spoken or read. They were either spoken aloud or sung. This is how they did in ancient times. Jesus probably grew up hearing his mom sing the psalms, recite the psalms, 
He'd go to the temple. He'd hear the Psalms day, morning, noon, and night. They just, they said the Psalms. They recited them. They say, where does my help come from? Oh, my help comes from heaven and earth. Oh, I, 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 blessed is he who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked. He grew up listening to this, and he grew up singing them. Jesus was probably walking from school or going as he's doing his carpentry. He's probably reciting the book of Psalms. This is how Jesus' life was shaped and his prayer life was shaped. Because what does this book of Psalms do for us? The book of Psalms in itself, the book of Psalms gives us all the theology we need of God. It teaches us all we need to know about God from that book. It teaches us how good and mighty and awesome God is, how loving and tender and caring he is how powerful he is, how majestic he is. Everything Jesus needed to know about his father, he learned from Psalms. This is how we know who God is. When you read Psalms and you let it shape your understanding and form your view of God, all of a sudden you realize God is more wise, more awesome, more majestic, more holy, more beautiful, more loving, more tender, more caring than I ever imagined. That's what Jesus learned as he read and sung the Psalms day in and day out. As he said them out loud, he learned how big God was. And so for him in tough moments, he could say, not my will, but your will be done. His mother could say in a moment of just, could you imagine? She could say, behold, I'm your servant. Do it according to your word. This is how the early Christians learned to pray. This is how Jesus learned to pray. And this is how Jesus teaches us how to pray. If we want to live like Jesus, we want this carefree, we want worry-free, we want to trust him in all situations of our life, we want to sing, it is well with my soul and actually mean it. How do we get to that place? How do we live like Jesus? We pray like Jesus. The only way we're going to live like Jesus is if we learn to pray like Jesus. And Jesus prayed in a way that shaped his understanding of how big and involved and intimate and intentional his God is. His God was not this pagan God, this view of God that was far off and distant and uninvolved and didn't care what was happening in world affairs. No, his God was in charge of it. And his God wasn't far off and not caring about him and just letting him fend for himself. But he read the Psalms. He sung them out loud. These 150 prayers became his life. And he knew them probably by heart. Jesus was shaped by this understanding of the Psalms. It helped him see God for who he really was, not what he expected God to be like. How many times do we approach God in prayer with an expectation of who God is and what he should do? But what happens when you pray the way Jesus prayed, all of a sudden your prayers shift to, it's not about what I expect God to be. All of a sudden I, I, I discover and I see who God already is. You need to see who God actually is. Not who you intend him to be, expect him to be, or I'm sorry, American Western Christians, you want him to be. But who he is. That's why Jesus can say, not my will, but yours be done. That's why Jesus could tell the disciples, this is how you pray. 
your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because his life was shaped and formed by this view of an almighty, good, faithful, loving, caring God. So we see this. This is how Jesus lived his life. This is how Jesus prayed. He prayed it day and night, night and day, all day long, singing it, talking it, hearing it. Can you imagine the community? It'd be like us just walking around. We'd see each other at coffee. We'd see each other at a restaurant. We're reciting the Psalms. We're saying it to each other. We're singing it. Our kids, can you imagine your kids growing up in your home and all they hear is you speaking the word, singing the word. This was Jesus. And this shaped his life. This is how he prayed. And this is how we should look at God. And this is how we should learn to pray. Tim Keller, I love this. Tim Keller is one of my favorite Um, preachers, thinkers. He says this, he said, like a baby learning language, we learn how to communicate with God by listening to his words first. So what was so powerful about the Psalms? Was it what they were saying? Yeah. But I think even more, it was that they would, Jesus would, would read them, he would say them, he would hear the words, and then he would speak them. There's something powerful, and if you haven't noticed, this is what we've been teaching through our practices the last couple of weeks. First, we, we're starting to practice silence, some solitude. It's amazing what you can hear when you shut up, right? <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, the noise is gone. Yeah, because you are the noise. We all are, me included. <laughs> it's amazing when you can start with that. The silence, so you can actually listen to God. Then you can begin to speak. Then you can begin to speak what it is God is saying to you. Then power comes in, and all of a sudden you're feeling like, I don't know why I'm happy right now. I don't know why I'm feeling content and fulfilled because nothing's changed, but I feel really good. It was weird. I had this moment this week, kind of like I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be like pointing at birds and and grass and lilies and just being like, isn't it amazing? And people are like, she's a little bit crazy. And I'll be like, no, I'm just like Jesus. Um, WWJD, let's bring the bracelets back. Anyone remember? But I had this moment this week on Friday, like the weather in Idaho is so awesome, isn't it? confusing. It started out, Chris loves it. He, I think he looks at the weather app more than anything in all the world. Um, but it started out Friday, like kind of warmish, probably like the sun was out and then all of a sudden the clouds come in and then it rained. Remember, do you remember any of you went outside? Um, and then I was driving when this happened and all of a sudden the rain stopped and my sunroof was open, but not open so that rain was coming on me, but just so you could see, I don't know car lingo, but it was, I had a sunroof It's a mystery to me, but I can see the sky through my roof of my car. Um, And all of a sudden, I saw these huge cloud formations. I mean, and they were like majestic. I just kept in my mind going, oh my gosh, those are so majestic. Like who uses that word except for in the Bible, right? We don't use majestic that often. Do you walk around and be like, wow, you look majestic. You know, we don't use it. But in my mind, I'm looking at these clouds. I'm like, oh my gosh, these are majestic. God, this is crazy how you how you create these cloud formations and how the sky was so blue. And then there was these huge clouds. And I was just like, man, God, you were crazy good. Like your creation is amazing. And then the snow was melting and I got to see grass again. And I was like so excited, even though it's completely brown. And then I realized all the leaves I never cleaned up, but I didn't care 
because I saw the ground again, you know? And then I would just have this moment where I was like, man, God, you are just really good at what you do. You're just good and you're powerful and you're beautiful and majestic. And I was having this moment like I think we all should have every day, which is just like, I don't know what's going on. Sometimes I get confused at how to work everything out in my life, God. And I've got all these concerns and these cares and these worries, but that cloud is amazing. And in that moment, I just let God be who God already is. Instead of me trying to work everything out and figure out, God, I need you to be this and I need you to do that. Instead, I just sat there and I was like, wow, God, you're good. You're faithful and good and and you're always there and you're always on time and you never fail us. You don't abandon us. You're just good. This is how Jesus lived his life. This is how Jesus could get to the place in the garden and he could say, not my will, but yours be done. This is how Jesus did not get sucked into the Pharisee agenda or the affairs of the world or get tossed to and fro by everything that's going on because he had this picture of God, because he studied the Psalms, because he, he heard the words of, G, of God and then he recited them and he sung them and he prayed them over and over and over again. And it's kind of amazing when you say something over and over again, you actually believe it. This is what happened to Jesus. And this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. And this is how Jesus teaches us to live a worry-free, carefree, stress-free life. Can you believe that that can happen? Because when we live like Jesus, we pray like Jesus. And if we pray like Jesus, we live like Jesus. And this is what he's called us to do. I love this in Matthew 11, 28 through 30 in the message translation. It says this, are you tired? Let's all raise our hand. Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love that. I could just read that all over and over. Watch how I do it. Not how the world does it. Not how everybody tells you to do it. Not how you think you should do it. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the prescription God gives us for a world full of chaos, for a world that we can't figure out our own problems, for a world that we let worry be the biggest part of our heart and our mind, and it saturates us. It's the thing we think about the most. Sometimes we think about worry more than we think about anything else. And then sometimes we worry when we don't have anything to worry about. And then we're worried because we can't remember what we're supposed to be worrying about. We're consumed by worry. And Jesus is like, stop. Watch how I do it. Learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace, this rhythm The rhythm that comes from hearing the psalms, from saying the psalms, from singing the psalms. Learn from my rhythm. Learn this rhythm. Speak the rhythm. Sing the rhythm. Go everywhere you go when you're in school. Just be reciting or saying psalms or singing songs. Or if you're at work, just sit there and all of a sudden you're starting to feel the anxiety and the task list is bigger than than you can imagine. Guess what you do? You learn the unforced rhythms. Watch how Jesus says it. Watch how Jesus did it. You 
you live within this concept and this idea that Jesus knows something more than we know. And what he knew was he just trusted God. He knew God was in charge. He, had, he memorized those psalms. So in the moment that he needed a God to rescue him, he knew that Jesus, that, that, that psalm says, I rescued you because I delight in you. When he needed help, he said, my help comes from heaven and earth. When he was in despair, he knew what to say. When he was sick, he knew what to say. When he was joyful, he knew what to say. When he was in a trial, he knew what to say. When he was in triumphant moment, he knew what to say. Because the psalm says it. And it was who he was. It shaped his prayer life. The Psalms was, was Jesus' prayer book. And he used it. And here Jesus, I think, has taught us how we should pray. So how do we live this life? How do we live like Jesus? I think we pray like Jesus. I think we pray the Psalms. And this is the beauty of it all. Is in Jesus' last moment, his last words on the cross. This, is, this brings it full circle to me. Jesus' last words on the cross are this. We find him on the cross, and he says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a direct quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, where does Jesus' mind go? To his book of prayers. To the thing he'd been praying all his life things he'd been singing, all his, the things he heard his mom walking around the house, cleaning, f cooking, doing all the things she was doing, hearing the Psalms. And then he goes on and says, I to you I commit my spirit. That also is a direct quote from Psalm 35, verse 1. Jesus quotes his book of prayers in his time of need. And he trusts that God is who God says he is. And he knows not everything makes sense. Not everything works out just the way we want. God is not always what we expect him to be or, or what we want him to be, but he's so much more because he's God. And when you read and you recite and you sing the Psalms and you meditate on them and you pray them, all of a sudden you see God for who he really is. And he's in charge. And he's going to do what he's going to do, and it's going to be better than you can imagine. That's who God is. So what's our practice this week? Well, I want us to live like Jesus. So if we're going to live like Jesus, this is our practice. we got to pray like Jesus. And if we pray like Jesus, this is a great practice. We've been practicing solitude and silence. We continue that. We've been practicing praying for our enemies. We're going to continue that. For the rest of our lives, we're going to practice these, right? And then this week, Pastor Chris and I talked about this. And, we, and he said, I love this. We're going to practice, we're going to practice reading a psalm. For seven days, seven days, you're going to read a psalm, sing a song, however you want to do it. Then you pray it. Because we're going to do what Jesus said. Listen to it, and then we're going to say it. Listen to it, pray it. Listen to it, pray it. The unforced rhythms of grace. Listen, pray. Listen, pray. Maybe it's sing, pray. Sing, pray. But you're going to take us for seven days. Take If it's one psalm, if it's the same song, if it's a different one every day, Let's for seven days, let's live like Jesus by praying like Jesus. I am sure of not a lot in this world, but I'm sure of this. Jesus' prescription for life is the only prescription for our worrisome, stressed out, chaotic world. 
We keep trying to find other ways to fix it for centuries, in fact. But what if we committed to this? And this doesn't, practice means you have to keep practicing it. I'm sorry. I wish I could say tomorrow you'll have it mastered. No, you won't. I won't. We're going to practice it and we're going to keep practicing it. Jesus spent 33 years on earth practicing it. Some of us can't go three days, but we're going to try. We're going to practice for seven days. We're going to pray it, say it, or we're going to say it, and then we're going to pray it. Amen? Amen. Would you stand, church, and we're going to pray. Lord, we just thank you for, we thank you for your words and your life. Lord, your example of living a worry-free, carefree, more importantly, a fulfilled and a content life in the midst of trials. Lord, you, you model for us a life that, Lord, I know you've called each and every one of us as Jesus followers to live to live fulfilled and content, knowing that our heavenly father is in control. It's not our will. It's not our dreams, our hopes, our desires, but it's your will, Lord, that we desire to be done. Lord, let it be done, just as Mary prayed. Let it be done according to your word, God. Let it be so according to what you say, God. Let your kingdom come and your will be done, God. We thank you, Lord, as we... Pray like Jesus this week. I think you will begin to see our lives reflecting the life of Jesus. That just like Jesus' life was shaped by the Psalms, God shape our lives by the book of prayers. That we'd have a bigger perspective of who God you are. Not who we want you to be or who we think you should be, but who you actually are. Well, that would change our life. That would change our world. And God, we ask that this week you would give us the grace, the strength, and you would keep away distractions that would try to keep us from doing this, from living like you and from praying like you. Lord, we give ourselves to prayer this week. And we love you, Jesus. And we thank you that your kingdom come and your will is going to be done in all of our lives. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com. 